Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Reading in the afternoon. Yeah? yeah. Reading after school. And you guys can request any um, yeah. tarot card reading. Peyton wants to do tarot card reading, so if you want her to pull a tarot card for you, just leave a comment in your first name. Don't leave your last name because that's not safe. And she'll pull a tarot card for you. Okay. Chapter 9 of A Series of Unfortunate Events by Lemony Snicket, Book the Twelfth. The Penultimate Peril. Chapter 9. Ha! Count Olaf shrieked, pointing at the Baudelaire orphans with a bony finger, and the children were thankful for small mercies. A small mercy is, a sim- a simply ti- is simply a tiny thing that has gone right in a world gone wrong, like a sprig of delicious parsley next to a spoiled tuna sandwich, or a lovely dandelion growing in a garden that is being devoured by vicious goats. That's true, they do. They would eat those. <laughs> they eat that kind of thing. And a small mercy, like a small fly swatter, is likely, is unlikely to be of any real help. But nevertheless, the three siblings, even in the horror of the disguise at seeing Olaf again, were thankful for the small mercy that the villain had apparently lost interest in his new laugh. Oh, that was annoying, huh? At the last time that the Baudelaire's had seen the villain, he'd, a, he'd been aboard a strange submarine shaped like an octopus and developed a laugh at, that was equally as strange, full of snorts and squeaks and words that happened to begin with the letter H. But as the villain strode towards the children and the adults who were clutching their hands, it was clear that he had since adopted a style of laughter that was succinct. W- w- that was what? Second? S-U-C-C-I-N-T, second, okay? A word here which means only the word ha. Ha, he cried. I knew I'd find you orphans again. Ha, and now you're in my clutches. Ha! We're not in your clutches, Violet said. We just happen to be standing in the same room. That's what you think, orphan. Olaf sneered. I'm afraid the man who's holding your hand is one of my associates. Hand her over, Ernest. Ha! Hi yourself, Olaf, said Dewey Denouement. His voice was firm and confident, but Violet felt his hand tremble in hers. I'm not Ernest, and I'm not handing her over. Well, then hand her over, Frank, Olaf said. You might be considering your hair. You you might consider doing your hair differently, so I can tell you apart. I'm not Frank either, Dewey said. You can't fool me, Count Olaf growled. I wasn't born yesterday, you know. One of those idiotic, you're one of those idiotic twins. I should know. Thanks to me, you two are the only survivors of that entire family. Triplets run in my family, Dewey said, not twins. And I'm Dewey DeMont. Denouement, sorry. At this, Count Olaf's one eyebrow raised in astonishment. Dewey DeMont, he murmured. So you're a real person. I always thought you were a legendary figure, unlike, oh, like unicorns or uh, Giuseppe Verdi. Giuseppe Verdi is not a legendary figure, Klaus said indignantly. He is an operatic co- composer. 
Silence, bookworm, Olaf ordered. Children should not speak while adults are arguing. Hand over the orphan, adults. Oh, hand over the orphans, adults. Nobody's handing over the Baudelaire's, Justice Strauss said, clutching Klaus's hand. You have no legal right to them or their fortune. You can't just go grab children as if they, if the, as if they were a fruit in a bowl, Jerome Squalor cried. It's injustice and we won't have it. You'd better watch yourselves, Count Olaf said, narrowing his shiny eyes. I have associates lurking everywhere in this hotel. So do we, said Dewey. Many vol- volunteers have arrived early within the hours of the street. Within the hours, the streets will be flooded with taxis carrying noble people to this hotel. How can we be sure that they're noble people, Count Olaf said. A taxi will pick up anyone who signals for me. These people are associates of ours, Dewey said fiercely. They won't fail us. Ha, Count Olaf said. You can't rely on associates. More comrades have failed me than I can count. Why, Hooky and Fiona are... Oh my gosh, his name is Count Olaf. And he said, they count Olaf. That's true, that's true. When Hooky and Fiona double-crossed me yesterday and let your brats escape, then then they double-crossed me again and stole my submarine. We can rely on our... We can rely on our friends, Violet said quietly, more than we can rely on yours. Is that so? Count Olaf asked and leaned towards the children with with a ravenous smile. Have you learned nothing after all of your adventures, he asked. Every noble person has failed you, Baudelaire's. Why, look, look at the idiot standing next to you. The judge who let me marry you. A man who gave up you gave up on you altogether, and a sub sub librarian who spends his life sneaking around, around taking notes. They're hardly they're hardly a noble bunch. Charles is here from Lucky Smells Lumber. Klaus said he cares about us. Sir is here. Olaf retorted, "He doesn't." Ha, ha. Uh, how? Sunny said. Vice Principal Nero and Mister Romero. Olaf said. Olaf replied, counting each pers- each nasty person in his filthy fingers. And that pesty reporter from the Daily Punctilio, who's here to write a silly to write silly articles praising my cocktail party, and ridic- ridiculous Mr. Poe, who just arrived hours ago to investigate a bank robbery. Ha! Those people don't count, Klaus said. They're not associates of yours, and they may as- they may as well be. Count Olaf replied, they've been an enormous help every second, and more associates of mine get closer and closer. So do our friends, Violet said. They're more, they're flying across the seas as we speak. By t- tomorrow, their self-sustaining hot air balloon will land on the roof. Only if we've managed to survive my eagles, Count Olaf said with a growl. They will, Klaus said, just like we've survived you. And how did you survive me, Count Olaf asked. The daily punctilio is full of your crimes. You lied to people. You stole. You abandoned people in danger. You set fires. Time after time, you've relied on treachery to survive, just like everyone else. There are no true noble people in this world. Our parents, Sonny said fiercely. Count Olaf looked in surprise that Sonny had spoken and given all three Baudelaire's a smile that made them shudder. I guess the sub-sub-librarian hasn't told you the story about your parents, he said. A box of poison darts? Why don't you ask him, orphans? Why don't you, why, why don't you ask this legendary librarian about the fateful evening of, at the opera? The Baudelaire's turned to, to look at Dewey, who had begun to blush. But before they can ask him anything, they were interrupted by a voice coming from a pair of sliding doors.
sliding doors. Come on, where are you? Oh, that had quietly opened. Don't ask him that, Esme Squalor said. I have much more important I have a much more important question. With a mocking laugh, the treacherous girlfriend emerged from the elevator, her silver sandals clumping on the floors, her lettuce leaves rustling against her skin. Behind her behind her was Carmelita Spatz, who was still wearing a ball playing cowboy superhero soldier pirate outfit and carrying that little harpoon gun that Violet had delivered and beginning her three more and behind her three more people emerged from the elevator first came the attendant from the rooftop sunbathing salon still wearing green green glasses and a long baggy robe following the attendant was a mysterious chemist from outside the sauna dressed in a long white coat and a surgical mask and last out of the elevator was the wash washerwoman from the laundry room with long blonde hair and rumpled clothing. The Baudelaire's had recognized these people from the observation, from their observation as flaneurs. But when then their attendant removed his robe to reveal his back, which had a small hump on the shoulder, and the chemist removed her surgical mask, not with one of her hands, but with her feet. And the washerwoman removed the long blonde wig with both of the hands exactly at the same time. And the three siblings recognized that the three henchfolk all over again. Hugo, cried Violet. Colette, cried Klaus. Kevin, cried Sonny. Esme, cried Jerome. Why isn't anybody calling out my name? Demanded Carmelita, who, stomping, who was stomping right out of her bright blue boots. She pranced toward Violet, who observed that two of the four long, sharp hooks were missing from the weapon. This is sort of an observation that may be important for a familiar, but it is dreadful, dreadful for any reader of this book who probably does not want to know where the remaining harpoons will end up. I'm a ball-playing cowboy, a superhero soldier pirate. She crowded into the old, she crowed to the oldest Baudelaire, and you're nothing but a cake sniffer. Call my name or I'll shoot you with a harpoon gun. Carmelita, Esme said with her silver mouth, twisting into an expression of shock. Don't point that gun at Violet. Esme's right, Count Olaf said. Don't waste harpoons. We may need them. Yes, Esme cried. There's always an important work there's always important work to do before a cocktail party, particularly if you want to be the innest girl in the world. We need to put silk slip covers on the couches and hide our accessories beneath them. We need to put vases of flowers on the piano and electric eels in the fountain. We need to hang streamers and volunteers from the ceiling. We need to play music so people can dance and block the exits so so that we can't leave. And most of all, we have to cook food and prep cook to cook food in to cook in food and prepare in cocktails. Food and drinks are the most important aspect of a social occasion social occasion in our recipes. Oh, and in our recipes, the most important aspect of every social occasion isn't the food and drinks, Dewey interrupted indignantly. It is conversation. You are the one who should flee, Justice Strauss said. Your cocktail party will be will be canceled due to the host and hostess being brought by justice to justice by the high court. You're as foolish as you were when we were neighbors, Count Olaf said. The high court can't stop VFD can't stop us vfd can't stop us hidden somewhere in this hotel is one of the most deadly fungi in the entire world 
When Thursday comes, the fungus will come out of the hiding and destroy everyone that it touches. At least I'll be free to steal the Baudelaire fortune and perform any other acts of treachery that will spring my, that springs to my mind. You won't dare unleash the medusoid mycelium, Dewey said. Not while I have the sugar bowl. Funny you should mention the sugar bowl, as the squalor said, although the Baudelaire's could see that she didn't think it was funny at all. That's just we wanted that's just what we want you to ask that's what we just wanted to ask you about. The sugar bowl, Count Olaf asked, as his eyes shining brightly. Where is it? The freaks will tell you, Esme said. It, it's true, boss, said Hugo. It may be more it may be a more hunchback, but I saw uh, I may be a mere hunchback, but I saw Carmelita shoot down the crows using the harpoon gun harpoon gun that Violet brought her. Justice Strauss turned to to Violet in astonishment. You gave Carmelita the harpoon gun, she gasped. Well, yes, Violet said. I had to perform concierge errands as part of my disguise. The harpoon harpoon gun was supposed to be kept away from the villains, the judge said, not given to them. Why Why didn't Frank stop you? Violet thought back to her unfathomable conversation with Frank. I think he tried, she said quietly, but he had to take the harpoon harpoon gun to the floor. Um, But I had to take the harpoon gun up to the roof. What else could I do? I hit two crows, Carmelita bragged. Carmelita spats. Bragged Carmelita spats. That means County has to teach me how to spit like a real ball-playing cowboy superhero pirate now. Don't worry, darling, Esme said. He'll teach you, won't you, Olaf? Count Olaf sighed as if he had better things to do than teach a little girl how to pro- how to propel saliva out of her mouth. Yes, Carmelita, he said. I'll teach you how to spit. Colette took center stage, a phrase here which means stepped forward and twisted her body into an unusual shape. Even a, con- a contortionist like me, she said, her mouth moving beli- below her elbow, could see what happened after Car- Carmelita shot the crows. They fell into the bird na- bird paper that Klaus dangled over the window. You dangled the bird paper of the window, Jerome asked the middle bodler. Ernest told me to, Klaus said, finally realizing which manager had spoken to him in the sauna. I had to obey him as part of my disguise. You can't just do what everybody tells you to do, Jerome said. Well, what else could I do? What else could I do, Klaus said. When the crow hits the paper, Kevin said, gesturing with one hand and the other. They dropped the sugar bowl. I don't see. I didn't see where it went, with either my right eye or my left one, which I'm sad to say are equally as strong. But I did see Sunny turn the door of the laundry room into a vernacular. Oh my god, vernacularly fastened door. Aha! Count Olaf cried. The sugar bowl must have fallen down the funnel. I still don't see why I had to disguise myself as a washerwoman. Kevin said timidly. I could have just been a washer person and not worn this humiliating wig. Or you could have been a noble person, Violet said. Could not help adding, instead of spying on a brave volunteer. What else could I do, Kevin asked, shrugging both of his shoulders equally. You could be a volunteer yourself, Klaus said, looking at his former carnival co-workers. All of you should stand with us now instead of helping Count Olaf with his schemes. I could never be a noble person, Hugo said sadly. I have a hump on my back. And I'm a contortionist, Colette said. Someone who can bend their body into unusual shape should never be a volunteer. VFD would never accept an ambidextrous person, Kevin said. It is my destiny to be a treacherous person. 
Clematitis, Sunny said. Nonsense, Dewey said, who understood at once what Sunny had said. I'm ambidextrous myself, and we've managed to do something worthwhile with my life. Being treacherous isn't your destiny, it's your choice. Well, I'm glad you feel that way, Esme Squalor said. You have a choice this very moment, Frank. Tell me where the sugar bowl is, or else. That's not a choice, Dewey said, and I'm not Frank. Esme frowned. Then you have a choice this very moment, Ernest. Tell me where the sugar bowl is, or... Dewey, Sonny said. Esme blinked at the youngest Baudelaire, who noticed that the villain, villainous woman's eyes, eyelashes, had been painted silver. What? she asked. It's true, Olaf said. He's, he's the real sub-sub. It turns out that he's not legendary like Verdi. Is that so? Esme Squalor said. Someone has really been... Has someone so someone has really been cataloging everything that has happened between us? It's my life's work, Dewey said. Eventually, everyone crucial, everyone crucial secret. Oh, every crucial secret ends up in my catalog. Then you know all about the sugar bowl, Esme said, and what's inside of it. You know how important the thing was, and how many lives we've lost in the quest to find it. You know how difficult it was to find a container that could safely hold it securely and attractively. You know what it means to the Baudelaire's and what it means to the Snicket's. She took off one sandaled step close, closer. Oh, she took one sandaled step cl- closer to Dewey and stretched out one silver fingernail, the one shaped like an S, until the until it was almost poking him in the eye. And you know, she said in a terrible voice, "That is mine." Not anymore, Dewey said. Beatrice stole it from me, Esme cried. There are worse things, Dewey said, than theft. At this, the girlfriend gave the sub-sub librarian a chuckle that made the Baudelaire's blood run cold. There certainly are, she said, and strode towards Carmelita Spatz. With one spiky fingernail, the one shaped like an M, she moved the harpoon gun so it was pointing to the triplet. Oh my gosh. Tell me how to open that door, she said, or this little girl will will harpoon you. I am not a little girl, Carmelita said to Esme nastily. I'm a ball-playing cowboy superhero soldier pirate, and I'm I'm not going to shoot any more harpoons until County teaches me how to spit. You'll do what what we say, Carmelita, Olaf growled. I already purchased that ridiculous outfit for you and that boat for you to prowl the swimming pool. Point that weapon at Dewey this instant. Teach me to spit, Carmelita said. Point the weapon. Teach me to spit. Point the weapon. Teach me to spit. Weapon, spit. Weapon, spit. With a raspy roar, Count Olaf roughly yanked the harpoon gun out of Carmelita's hands, knocking her to the floor. I'll never teach you how to spit as long as I live, he shouted. Ha! Darling, Esme gasped, you can't break your promise to our darling little girl. I'm not a darling little girl, Carmelita screamed. I'm a ball-playing cowboy superhero soldier pirate. You're a spoiled baby, Olaf corrected. I never wanted a brat like you anyways. It's about time that you were shown some discipline. But discipline is out, Esme said. I don't care what's out and what's in, Olaf cried. I'm tired of having a girlfriend obsessed with fashion. And all you do is sit around on the rooftop sunbathing in sunbathing salons while I am running around doing all of the work. If it hadn't been for that roof, Esme retorted, that sugar bowl would have been delivered to the VFD. Besides, I was guarding. 
Never mind what you were doing, Olaf said. You're fired. You can't fire me, Esme growled. I quit. Well, you can leave by mutual agreement, Olaf grumbled. And then with another, um, second, I don't even know what that word is. Another word I don't know. S-U-C-C-I-N-T. Suckant? Sussant? Sussant. Mm. You, you're not going to know it if I don't know it. I want to see it. Ha, he said. Okay, I'm going to give you a chance. Yeah, let's see. Come here. It's the last word on this page. Mm-hmm. Second. Mm-hmm. I think it's sussient. Sussient. Sounds know. right. I don't know either. Don't feel bad because I don't know either. And I'm 39 years old. Ha! He lifted the harpoon gun and pointed at Dewey Dumont. Tell us the three phrases we need to type into the lock in order to open the vernacularly fastened door and search the laundry room. You won't find anything in the laundry room, Dewey said, except for piles of dirty shoes, a few washing and drying machines, and some extremely flammable chemicals. I may have a handsome, youthful glow, Olaf snarled, but I wasn't born yesterday. Ha! If there's anything in the laundry room, why did you put v- the VFD door lock on it? Perhaps it's just a decoy, Dewey said, his hands still trembling in violets. Decoy, Olaf said. Decoy is a word with several meanings, the, triplet, the triplets explained. It can refer to a corner of the pond where the ducks can be captured or to an imitation of a duck or another animal to be used to attract a real specimen. Or it can be some mean, some thing used to distract people such as a lock on a door that is not that does not contain a certain sugar bowl if the lock is a decoy sub sub count olaf sneered then you won't mind telling me how to open it very well dewey said still struggling to sound calm the first phrase is a description of a medical condition that all three baudelaire children have is it allergic to peppermint peppermint allergy Mm, that's the only thing i know about that they all have the Baudelaire shared a smile. The second phrase is the weapon that is that left an you an orphan. Oh, that oh, the second phrase is the weapon that left you an orphan, Olaf. Dewey said, "Olaf's an orphan." Oh my gosh! And the third, Dewey said, is the famous unfathomable question in the best-known novel by Richard Wright. The Baudelaire sisters shared a look of confusion, and then looked hopefully at Klaus, who shook his head. I don't have time to medically examine the Baudelaire's, Olaf said, or shove my face into any best-known novels. Wicked people never have time for reading, Dewey said. It's one of the reasons for their wickedness. I've heard enough of your games, Count Olaf roared. Ha! If I don't hear the exact phrase used to open the lock by the time Esme counts to ten, I'll fire up the harpoon gun and tear you to shreds, Esme. Esme, count to ten. I'm not counting to ten, Esme said. I'm not going to do anything for you ever again. I knew it. Wait, wait, hold on. Esme, wait, hold on, hold on. Ever again. Oh, I knew it, Jerome said. I knew you could be a noble person again, Esme. You don't have to parade around in a, in, in a decent bikini in the middle of the night threatening to a sub-sub librarian. You can stand with us in the name of justice. Let's not go overboard, Esme said. Just because I'm dumping my boyfriend doesn't mean I'm going to be a goody-goody like you. Justice is out. Injustice is in. That's why it's called injustice. You should do what's right for the world, Justice Strauss said. It's not just what's about what's fashionable. I understand your situation, Esme. When I was your age, I spent years after a, 
as a horse thief before realizing, I don't want to hear your boring stories, Olaf snarled. The only thing that I want to hear are those three exact phrases from Dewey's mouth, or his destiny will be death by harpoon as soon as I say the number 10. One, stop, Justice Strauss cried in the name of the law. Two, stop, Jerome Squalor pleaded in the name of injustice. Three, stop. Violet ordered, and her siblings nodded in fierce agreement. The Baudelaire real the Baudelaire's realize, as I'm sure you have realized, that one that the adults standing in with them were going to do nothing. Oh gosh, we're gonna do nothing to stop that would stop Count Olaf from Olaf from reaching to ten and pulling the trigger of the harpoon gun. And that Justice Strauss and Jerome Squalor would fail them, as so many noble people had failed them before, but the siblings also knew that this failure would not hurt them, at least not right away. It would hurt Dewey Dumont, De, uh, Dewey Denouement, and without another word, the three children dropped their hands of the adults and, and stood in front of the sub-sub-librarian, shielding him from harm. You can't harpoon this man, Klaus said to Count Olaf, scarcely believing what he was saying. You'll have to harpoon us first. Or, Sonny said, put down the gun. Dewey Denouement looked amazed, too amazed to speak, but Count Olaf merely turned his disdainful gaze from the sub-sub-librarian to the three children. I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind harpooning you either, orphans, he said, his eyes shining bright. When it comes to slaughtering people, I am very flexible. Ha! Step four. Oh, not step four. He's just counting. Four! Violet took a step towards the Count, who was holding the harpoon gun so it pointed to her chest. Lay down your weapon, Olaf, the oldest Baudelaire said. You don't want to do this wicked thing. Count Olaf blinked, but did not move the gun. Of course I do, he said. If the sub-sub doesn't tell me how to get that sugar bowl, I'll pull the trigger no matter who's standing in front of me. Ha! Five. Klaus took a step forward, joining his sister. You have a choice, he said. You can choose not to pull the trigger. And you can choose death by harpoon, Olaf cried out. Six, please, Sunny said, joining her sister, her, joining her sisters. What? Why does it say that? Please, Sunny said, joining her sisters. Are you listening to me, Peyton? It says, please, Sunny said, joining her sisters. Is it supposed to say siblings? Oh my gosh, we found a typo! That's pretty good. One typo in 13 books. That's pretty good. The villains did not move, but standing but standing together, the three Baudelaire's walked closer and closer to the harpoon gun, shielding Dewey all the while. Seven. Please, the youngest Baudelaire said again. The Baudelaire's walked slowly but steadily towards the harpoon gun. Their echoing footsteps is the only sound in the silent lobby except for Olaf's shrieking of high, higher and higher numbers. Eight. Oh, I get it, because he's going up higher and higher in octaves. They walked closer. Nine. The children took one last step and silently put their hands on the harpoon gun, which felt ice cold, even through their white gloves. They tried to pull the weapon out of Olaf's hand, but their first guardian did not let go. And for a long moment, the youngest Baudelaire's youngsters and the adults were gathered around the terrible weapon in silence. Violet stared at the hook tip of the harpoon and thought it was pressed against her chest. Klaus 
stared straight ahead at the bright red trigger that could be pressed any moment, and Sunny stared into Olaf's shiny, shiny eyes for even the smallest sign of nobility. What else can I do? The villain asked. So the children quietly... Oh, what else can I do? The villain asked. So quietly, the children could not be sure that they had heard them correctly. Give us the gun, Violet said. It's not your destiny to do this treacherous deed. Give us the gun, Klaus said. It's not your destiny to be a wicked person. La Forza del Destino, Sunny said. And then nobody said anything more. It was so quiet in the lobby that the Baudelaire's could hear Olaf draw draw breath as he got ready to shout the word ten. But then in an instant, they heard another sound, specifically a very loud cough. And in an instant, everything changed, which is the which is the wicked way of the world. In an instant, you can say a light match that you light a match and start a fire and that can get that can destroy the lives of countless people. In an instant, you can remove cake from an oven and provide dessert for countless others, assuming that this cake is very large and the others are not very hungry. In an instant, you can change a few words in a poem by Robert Frost and, and communicate with your associates through the code known as verse fluctuation declaration. And in an instant, you can realize there is something hidden and decide whether you're going to retrieve it or let it stay hidden where it might never be found and eventually be forgotten all but a few very well-read and distraught figures who are who are themselves forgotten by all but very few well-read and very few distraught figures in turn who are forgotten and so on and so on and a few more so ons besides all this can do All this can happen in an instant, as if a single instant is an enormous container capable of holding countless secrets safely secure and attractively, such as the countless countless secrets held in the Hotel Denouement or in the hidden hidden underwater catalog in the rippling reflection. But in this instance, in the hotel's enormous lobby, the Baudelaire orphans heard and heard a cough as loud as it was familiar, and in the instant that Olaf turned to see who was walking into that lobby and hurried pushed and hurriedly pushed the harpoon gun into the Baudelaire's hands when he saw the figure wearing pajamas with with drawings of money all over it all over them and belief and a bewildered expression on his face. In this instant, the three Baudelaire siblings grasped their weapon, feeling its heavy, dark weight in their hands. And this in this instant, the gun slipped from their hands and clattered to the green wooden floor. And in this instant, they heard a red trigger click. And in this instant, the penultimate harpoon was fired with a swoosh and sailed through the enormous doomed room domed room and struck someone a fatal blow a phrase here which means killed one of the people in the room what's going on mr poe demanded for it was not his destiny to be slain by a harpoon or at least not in this particular evening i could hear people arguing all the way up from room 174 what in the world in an instant he stopped and gazed in horror as the three siblings at the three siblings baudelaire's he gasped but he was not the only person gasping Violet gasped, Klaus gasped, and Sonny gasped, Justice Strauss and Jerome Squalor gasped, and Hugo, Colette, and Kevin, who are accustomed to violence and from their days of the carnival employees, and the henchmen to a villain gasped, and Carmelita Spatz gasped, Esme Squalor gasped, and even Count Olaf gasped, <laughs> although it was an unusual for a villain to gasp, unless 
his discoverings of a, cr- a crucial secret or suffering in great pain. But it was Dewey Dumont who gasped the loudest of all, louder than even the wrongs that the thunder wrong that thundered through the hotel as a clo- clock struck two. Wrong, wrong. The clock thundered, but all the Baudelaire's heard was Dewey's pained, choking gasp as he stumbled backward through the lobby, one hand to his chest and the other clutching the tail end of the harpoon while stuck out of his body at an odd angle, like like a drinking straw or a reflection of Dewey's skinny arms. Dewey! Violet cried. Dewey! Klaus cried. Denouement! Sunny cried. But the sub-sub-librarian could not answer and stumbled backwards out of the hotel in silence. For a moment, the children were too shocked to move as they watched him disappear into the cloud of stream of steam rising from the laundry room funnel. But then they ran after him, hurrying down the stairs. They had heard a splash from the edge of the pond. By the time the Baudelaire's reached him, he was already beginning to sink, his trembling body making ripples, ripples in the water. There are those who say that the world is like a compound and that any time a person does, does even the smallest thing, it is as if the stone has dropped into the pond and spreading circles of ripples further and further out until the entire world has become changed by one tiny action. But the Baudelaire's could not bear to think of any tiny action of the trigger of the harpoon gun or the world had changed in just one instant. Instead of frantically rushing to the edge of the pond as the sub-sub-librarian began to sink, Klaus grabbed one hand, and then Sunny grabbed the other, and then Violet reached for his face as if she were com- as if she were comforting someone who had beginning to cry. You'll be okay, Violet cried. Let us let us get you out of the water. Dewey shook his head, and then gave the children a terrible frown, as if he were trying to speak but unable to find the words. You'll survive, Klaus said, although they both knew from the reading about dreadful events from dreadful events in his life that it was simply not true. Dewey shook his head again. By now, only his head was above the surface of the water and his two trembling hands. Is he like dead in the water just shaking his head? I think he's like thinking he's going to die. I don't know. It's weird. We failed you, Sonny said. Dewey shook his head one more time. This time was very wildly in violent disagreement. He opened his mouth and reached out with one hand of water, pointing to the, pointing past the Baudelaire's towards the dark, dark sky as he struggled to utter the word he most wanted to say. Kit, he whispered, and then finally, then slipping from the grasp of the children, he disappeared into the dark water and the Baudelaire orphans wept alone for the mercies denied them and for the wicked, wicked way of the world. It is wicked. My goodness, this book is scary. 12, 10, okay. Oh my gosh, I was going to say, oh my gosh, that's a long chapter. I'm looking to see how much the next chapter is. But I can't tell. Well, no, because I'm putting the... I am not a cheater. I'm putting the bookmark there. I'm not a cheater. You're a cheater. I'm not a che- I'm not crying. You're crying. Cheater, cheater, cheater. No, because look, listen, I'm not... Okay. <laughs> 